Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome everybody to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline on this Sunday, March 19th, 2023. Looking forward to spending uh, the next hour chatting with listeners about uh, a bunch of outdoor topics brewing across uh, our fine state of Minnesota. Uh, full show, we'll kick it off. I'll spend a little time maybe recapping some news items. Uh, at 5.15, young Brian Mosey, the staff writer at Outdoor News, is going to check in. There's a lot cooking legislatively at the uh, state capitol, and we will uh, quickly maybe run through some of the top bills, uh, again, that are brewing uh, in our legislature this year, the DFL-run legislature. At 5.30, uh, Carol Henderson is going to stop in. Uh, Carol is a name recognizable to anyone who knows anything about the outdoor scene. He was the head of the non-game division at the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources for, I think it's like 40 years. It was incredible how long that man was Mr. Non-Game here in Minnesota. Retired a few years ago, I believe in 2018. But he knew Bud Grant pretty well, and I think uh, we'll kind of wrap up some of our Bud Grant remembrances uh, on today's WCCO Outdoors. I see Dennis Anderson had a nice story uh, about uh, remembering Bud also this week. Uh, I did so in my column. I kind of talked about a lot of the things in that piece that uh, we shared here last week on WCCO Outdoors, so I'm not going to go into great detail on that again. Uh, Dennis had a good <laughs> I thought he had a good subhead, which is something along the lines of, was he a, a football coach who loved the outdoors, or was he a hunter and fisherman outdoorsman who happened to coach football? Uh, I think for those of us on the uh, outdoor side of the equation, uh, we really appreciated where uh, where Dennis was coming from with uh, that statement. Uh, then before we wrap up the show, we will check in with Chris Granrud. Chris is a uh, he owns Rainy Days Guide Service up on the border, on the Rainy River, and uh, that's a really big season every spring when that Rainy River opens up and guys and gals get out and chase walleyes and sturgeon, uh, big sturgeon fishery too. So we will uh, get an outlook for him as uh, we're starting to talk about ISA. We're starting to talk about open water fishing, believe it or not, as we wind down uh, March 2023. Uh, Part of that, uh, one thing that goes along with open water fishing is the fishing booklets. Uh, Joe Felagy had a column in this week's print edition of Outdoor News lamenting, where are the fishing booklets for the fishing regulations? I don't know if the DNR has been a little delayed in getting some of those out to some retailers, uh, they did have them last weekend at the Northwest Sports Show. Uh, listeners uh, who joined me last week know I spent all of last weekend at that bro- at that uh, event, and uh, I did pick up some uh, some 2023 print versions of the uh, fishing regulations at that event. So I know I know they're out. I know they're printed, uh, and uh, just keep uh, trying here in the next week to ten days. I'm pretty confident that most uh, retailers are going to have the uh, the open water fishing rigs, which is always an important thing to have in hand because we've got a lot of you know very specific uh, fishing regulations, uh, individual waters management, the DNR calls it. And so it's important to know exactly what reg you're dealing with when you go out on any water body. Uh, the uh, Great Waters Fly Fishing Expo, uh, that was held this weekend at Hamlin University. I did not get over there. Uh, I I'm not. I presume they had a they had a pretty decent crowd. That's uh, kind of the last show for a while. We had the Muskie Expo and Deer Classic Northwest Sports Show last weekend, and uh, that uh, fly fishing show. So obviously smaller, kind of a niche event. 
but nonetheless, uh, it's I think they get a they get a nice crowd of uh, of loyal fly fishermen uh, who who always attend uh, attend that show. Uh, what what do we have for? We had a one pretty big. A uh, little headline here, a guy, a guy named Brad Lila, who is going to join us next weekend on WCCO Outdoors. Uh, Brad told me he was going to the Wild Game today. Uh, he wasn't sure he'd be able to join us here for this 5 o'clock hour uh, to talk uh, about his fish. But he caught a, a really big northern pike on Lake Malac. I believe it was in January, and it has been certified as the co-state record catch-and-release northern pike. Uh Important to note that it's not the state record. Okay, the the overall state record is a fish that was killed. Uh, you got to kill a fish, right, to have the have the overall uh, state record. Uh, but Brad has got the catch and release record, and I got the DNR press release, and I don't think it said catch and release in front of record uh, on the release. And so I, I was very clear to my web guy when he posted that story: make sure it says catch and release because it is a different record. The DNR starting that, I don't know when they start the catch and release record thing, 10, 15 years ago for a few specific species, big fish like muskies, pike, uh, uh, sturgeon, and they're expanding that. We had Shannon Fisher from DNR, Minnesota DNR, on this show several months ago to talk about how uh, DNR Fisheries is expanding that program, and that's good. I'm glad they're expanding it. They, you know, I want to encourage catch and release. But at the same time, it's important to note that it's it's not the overall record. This is a fish that Mr. Lila caught on Lake Malac. Took him a while to to get it up to uh, through the hole in the ice that he had. Which he caught it through the ice, measured it, got all kinds of you know measurements, uh, length, all that good stuff, and then released it. And so that's great. That's great news that that big fish is still swimming in Malac. Uh, you know, another thing I would point out: uh, Malac did resume uh, spear fishing. A few years ago, and uh, some of us were a little concerned what that would mean for the the overall structure of northern pike in that lake. And it's nice to see still, you know, some really big pike uh, being caught on hook and line and uh, being released uh, in the, in that important fishery. So uh, we'll talk to Mr. Lila maybe some more about that next week. Quick story I want to mention: uh, Tim Spielman, editor at Minnesota Outdoor News, called me and said, "Rob, uh, I'd like." Uh, he said he had contacted Lakeland PBS Public Broadcasting. They're out of, what, the Bermidji, Brainerd area, and he got permission to reprint a story they had on the Outdoor News website. So I want to make sure I give Lakeland PBS proper credit here. But the Red Lake Nation leadership looks to restore upper Red Lake boundaries. Now, I did some Google searching before the show. I have not seen anyone report this, but apparently at the State of the Band address on March 10th, Red Lake Nation Tribal Chairman Daryl Seeky Sr. shared that the band will look to... We'll look to contact the United States Secretary of Interior to discuss restoring the reservation boundaries to fully include Upper Red Lake. That's a pretty big deal. Half of Upper Red Lake, I believe most folks understand, is under state jurisdiction, state management. It's a fantastic walleye lake. A lot of private businesses uh, on the shoreline, on the uh, the eastern shoreline of that lake, who uh, host and guide walleye anglers on that. Of course, the rest of Upper Red and then all of Lower Red exists on the Upper Red Lake Reservation. Uh, according to this, state, this story from Lakeland PBS, due to allotment, I'm not even sure what that is, and I'm a fairly decent student of, of some of the you know, tribal natural resources history, but due to allotment in the 1880s, the Red Lake Reservation was reduced in size from over 3 million acres to 300,000 acres. While all of Lower Red Lake was included in reservation boundaries, only a portion of Upper Red was retained. 
during this uh, address. Siki said the move by the ban was a priority and would restore the eastern boundary of the reservation. The ban plans to approach the U.S. U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland to review the necessary paperwork and correct what tribal leadership sees as a historical wrong. Deb Holland is the nation's first American Indian uh, Secretary of Interior. I believe she hails from New Mexico, somewhere in the desert southwest. Uh, Siki said if the United States declines the ban's request to restore the portion of Upper Red, the ban would most likely seek litigation. So this has potential to be a really big story. Uh, if we're talking, if, if the band is serious about uh, basically taking complete control of the eastern half of Upper Red, in addition to uh, the, the the western half of that lake, that's something that the Minnesota DNR currently manages, and it's an area that uh, you know rank and file anglers, state licensed anglers, love to uh, go fishing on. And if that was no longer part of the state of Minnesota, it would definitely change that dynamic. So we're going to keep tabs on that. Uh, I think Spielman is going to follow up with a story in this week's print edition of Outdoor News and get more details. Uh, I'm not seeing it reported anywhere else, but uh, potentially a really huge story uh, concerning natural resources in Minnesota. Let's break. We are going to talk about some other legislative agenda items that are cooking at the state capitol with Brian Mosey from Outdoor News. When we return, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors 519 on this March 19th, 2023. Uh, We are here until the top of the hour. Uh, And then uh, stay tuned for 60 minutes, 60 minutes at 6 o'clock. And then uh, Steele talking at 7. Shaletta Brundage filling in for Geraldine Steele this week. So lots of great content coming at you on WCCO all evening. I want to check in now with a staff writer at Outdoor News. He's been there several months, Mr. Brian Mosey. He's going to give us an update on some things cooking at the state capitol. Brian, are you with us? I am. Brian, good to hear your voice. Yeah. Uh, Golly, you know what, Brian, I've been trying to find out what's happening out at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. I I know you've been sniffing around on that a little bit, too. I forgot to mention earlier in the show that the BHA Rendezvous is going on, their annual national rendezvous in uh, Missoula, Montana. Uh, that was this weekend. I'm, uh, you know, that, uh, that group likes to, uh, how do you put it, uh, they like to imbibe a bit. Uh, the whole pint night culture is a big part of, uh, uh, of what they're all about, and so i got to think uh, that event coinciding with St. Patrick's Day uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, I uh, we we were staying in touch because uh, we were curious how uh, Constance Cook and Jordan Warren from Red Wing uh, you interviewed them also they won the the Minnesota chapter BHA cookoff great uh, great couple right yeah awesome couple they they met up in uh, the St Ben St Benedict and St John's and um, after about ten years they're they're together and um, they decided to make uh, they they competed last year obviously. Um, didn't didn't get to go to the finals, but uh, this year we're able to come back with a really, really, really good um, pheasant chicken. It's like a waffle chicken and waffles, right? <laughs> um, and it's actually pheasant and waffles, and so it was yeah. actually kind of a fun little twist to it. Yeah, I just found out they did not win. The uh, Minnesota okay. is no longer the holding the title of uh, the uh, the national uh, backcountry hunters and anglers cookoff title. Uh, my understanding is they probably came in the uh, the middle, maybe the the upper half, but it, that the a, a Washington team 
uh, won the BHA cookoff uh, this year. So congratulations to them. But uh, I guess two years in a row of Minnesota winning the uh, national BHA cookoff, we're going to have to be satisfied with that at least for another year. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Brian, uh, staff writer at Outdoor News, there's a lot going on at the state legislature. Uh, however folks feel about one-party rule, it seems like things kind of advance uh, faster, again, for better or worse, depending on where you fall on different things. When uh, when you don't have split government, and you know, again, sometimes that's a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to uh, when you got split party rule. Uh, it's only the stuff everyone agrees on. Uh, there's a lot happening at the state capitol, and there's a lot happening with some natural resources things. So I thought we'd uh, we'd get an update from you, uh, Brian. One thing we've talked about a lot is renewal of the Environment and Natural Resources Trust Fund. That has got to be renewed by next year. It's got to be, I think, if for for the money to continue where this is basically the lottery we're talking about, the lottery dollar dedication, for that to continue beyond 2024, it needs to be on next year's ballot. Uh, And uh, what's the status of that in the legislature? You think, uh, is it advancing? Is it something you think is going to pass? I mean, I think it's it's definitely something that uh, is on the minds of many people in that um, Minnesota State Capitol. I mean, like you said, a lot of things going through the Capitol. Seems like every week something something else new that's popping up and it's about 10 different new bills. Um, but as for the renewal of the, of the trust fund, um, the Senate was able to go through it at the uh, Senate environment climate and legacy committee last week on Tuesday, March 20 or March 14th. Um, they were able to kind of go through it a little bit. They had a lot of different testifiers go through and talk about kind of how, how these, how this trust fund is helping them, their organization, um, even Eli Mansfield, I know we were talking about backcountry hunters and anglers. He was there to mm-hmm. talk about it, the Dare yep. for Minnesota chapter. Um, and he was talking about how, you know, it provides extensive possibilities and opportunities. Um, but they did go through it and eventually they did pass it, um, with recommendation to the House, State, and Local Government and Veterans Committee. Kind of weird though, um, Senator Justin Eichhorn from Grand Rapids. Um, he actually, before they passed the bill, he actually presented an amendment to move the bill without recommendation, which from my sources in the state capitol, it's very weird that that happens. It's a very rare thing that that happens. It still goes through the normal process, but it's, um, but having a no recommendation um, kind of gives it a little bit of a taint to the, um, to the bill in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they, you know, voted down Icorn's amendment um, and went through it with recommendation, not okay. getting the Republican support, obviously, um, from that committee, but still being able to pass it on to the next committee. And Brian, right now, is the language fairly pure in terms of the, the profits, the proceeds from the lottery dollar going to environmental issues? A, a year ago, when it looked like it had a little bit of momentum, there was talk of maybe some of the money going to affordable housing or education or something else like that. Right now, it, it's my understanding it's a fairly pure environmental bill. Is that that your understanding? That's what I've heard, too, yeah. I mean, they, they have increased the, the percentage of the state lottery fund going to their trust fund, going from 40% in the past, um, in the past bill to 50% now, um, along with the fact that there is a permanent um, trust fund and there is no end date. So like last year or last time that you voted on it, it would, um, you, there was an end date where, you know, now obviously we're, you know, we're getting closer to that expiration. You know, now it's getting to the point of 
you know, when you if it gets passed through the elections in 2024, there would it would be permanently set and there wouldn't be an end date of having to renew it again. Brian, let's jump to a policy item that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, There's legislation. We've had this in the past that would allow crossbows during the archery season for everybody. Uh, That's new. In the past, uh, I think, what, people over a certain age could participate, folks uh, uh, who got a doctor's order because of some sort of uh, handicap that they they could use crossbows. This is something that's gained momentum slowly around the country. Other states have passed it where you can use a crossbow during the regular archery season. There's been a lot of opposition from rank-and-file old-school archery hunters to this. Uh, But now it sounds like, what, the Minnesota deer hunters are on board, and it's got some momentum in our legislature. Yeah, um, Dennis Korberg was talking to me, the president of the Minnesota uh, Deer Hunters Association, last week, and um, or a couple weeks ago, actually, and he was talking about how this is um, something that has been debated over the last several years, um, but this year especially they actually voted at their state meeting to, um, to be in favor of passing something like this, um, where now they are striking out the text in the bill that says, age 60 and over. So basically, like you said, anybody can use a crossbow during the archery season. They have been able to use a crossbow in the in the firearm season as long as you have a firearms license. But this just makes it so that you can actually, anybody can use a crossbow during the archery season. So um, definitely getting some getting some backing from the MDHA. Um, and I think it's, it's, it, it's definitely heading in a direction where it could possibly be passed. Um, and be potentially use, or be enforced here in the next year or two um, if it gets if it gets through the process as quickly as we think it might be. Yeah, it's House File twenty seven sixteen, authored by Representative Samantha Vang, DFLer from Brooklyn Center. Uh, Senate File twenty five sixty five, authored by Senate Senator Fong Hur, DFLer from St. Paul. Uh, WCCO Outdoors has learned that the DFL has control of the state legislature. So, again, it would seem like when you've got DFL authors uh, and you've got uh, the state's largest deer hunting organization supporting it, uh, that this thing has got some momentum. Uh, We'll see. Uh, We will talk about this more next week. I'm going to have Tim Lesmeister join me here. He and I have argued about technology issues for years, and I think we're going to argue about this issue a little bit more then. Perhaps we'll know if it's advanced a little bit more by then also, Brian. Uh, Hey, finally, uh, chronic wasting disease. We talked a lot about that earlier in the session, uh, CWD bills. I haven't heard much about it lately. Where where are the CWD bills right now? Are they uh, bogged down? Are they not progressing? Uh, If you were a gambling man, would you say we're going to have some CWD legislation passed this year, Brian? Um, I mean, it's definitely gone through a lot of committees. I mean, right now, House filed 1202 um, that is authored by Representative Jamie Beckerfin um, from um, a DFLer from Roseville. She, her bill is um, currently in the Judiciary, Finance, and Civil Law Committee. Um, it's gone through a couple different committees. Obviously, the first one that we heard about was at the Environment Committee um, back at the beginning of February. I actually went out to the state capitol to hear all about that and be able to get different points of views um, from both, you know, the you know different organizations that are backing this particular bill but also people like the deer farm, um, deer farm uh, operations people that, you know, are, are going to possibly be hurting if this bill goes through. Um, on the other side, Senate file 156, 
Um, that is currently being referred to the Judiciary and Public Safety Committee, um, similar to the House file. Definitely has gone through a lot of different committees. Um, from what I've heard is that, it, I mean, they're, they're definitely pushing it through. I think right now what I've heard is that there's a lot of different talk about different amendments being put in there um, to possibly change some of the language um, and being able to, you know, make sure that, you know, it's not just a Democrat heavy supported bill that there is bipartisanship um, hmm. in some extent, but obviously, you know, um, you can only, you can only do so much, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Okay, Brian. Well, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch with you on uh, the, the progress of those bills. We also have this uh, Minnesota Swan Protection Act, which would extend some more protections for Trump or swans, which already have a lot of protection. Uh, that's something we'll have to maybe spend some time on uh, next week or beyond see if that one pops up. That was around last year, and it has reemerged uh, here in 2023. Well, Brian, thanks a lot for chiming in to the broadcast. Uh, some good content there, and uh, I know you'll keep us posted on it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me be on the show. You bet, Brian. Have a good rest of your weekend. Take care. Yeah, you too. Brian Mosey, staff writer at Outdoor News, with some updates on legislation cooking at the state capitol. Uh, please stick around. We're going to have Carol Henderson with us. We're going to have a little, a few more remembrances of the late, great Bud Grant uh, from Carol, who's going to talk about Bud's softer side a little bit, so, so some of his non-game interests. Uh, so with that, let's break. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Hey, folks, we are back. It's WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerisline with you here for another segment. I'm going to spend some time again this segment remembering Bud Grant. Uh, we talked about him a lot in the paper this week. We talked about him on uh, last week's broadcast a little bit, too. And I wanted to pause for a moment because I don't think a lot of people recognized, you know, everyone knows about Bud the Outdoorsman, the guy who loved duck hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting. But there was a softer side of Bud that I witnessed a time or two in some of his speeches, especially one to the Minnesota Outdoor Heritage Alliance in February of 2015. I wrote about that in my column this week. And here to sh talk with us a little bit more about that is the leg another legend, Carol Henderson, the retired non-game DNR program leader. Carol retired in October of 2018, but he's remained very active, and he joins us now on the broadcast. Carol, how you doing? Just fine. How about yourself? Uh, really well. I, I appreciate you carving out some time to chat with us. I know you're a busy man in retirement, but you submitted a piece that we're going to run in Outdoor News, uh, Memories of Bud Grant, Hunter, Friend of Wildlife, and Avid Conservationist. And you really come at it, I think, kind of from the non-game perspective. Tell us how you, how you met Bud and a little bit about, you know, again, your thoughts on but, uh, you know, looking at the outdoors, not necessarily 100% through the caster and blaster lens. Well, I met Bud actually in a parking lot at a restaurant in Costa Rica. We huh. were in, in Liberia, and uh, they got out of their cars. Bud was with uh, two of his fishing buddies and with uh, Karen Johnson from Preferred Adventures Limited, who was leading a familiarization tour for them to show them some of the best spots to go fishing in co northwestern Costa Rica. And so on this fam tour, Karen got out of the car. I got out of it. We kind of were facing each other like, what are you doing here? And, and, and anyway, we had bought our plane tickets from her. And, uh, and then Bud got out, and they invited us in for our happy hour at the Bramadero. I'll be darned. And we spent a couple hours just delightfully listening to Bud tell us about some of his favorite stories of his memories of his life in northern Wisconsin as a kid talking about the wildlife he enjoyed at that time. He told us how he had hand-raised a couple of ravens 
And he was so impressed with their incredible intelligence. He said that one of those ravens liked to tease or taunt the other one by stealing a little window lever from an old car, a chrome-covered handle. Hmm. And the one raven knew that the other raven liked that as its favorite toy. So he would fly out in the woods and drop it in the woods <laughs> and then come back and then make the other raven spend uh, many hours trying to find that little door handle. Mm-hmm. And then he'd bring mm-hmm. it back. And then the other raven would steal it again and drop it in the woods. And it was kind of a game that he played. And uh, he just liked to torment the other bird. And he said that those birds knew what they were doing. They were teasing each other. And he said they're just one of the most intelligent birds you could imagine. And then he talked about his interest and concern in loons up in, by his cabin in northern Wisconsin and his uh, wood duck box responses uh, his, and helping the wood ducks. And he was uh, just a person that had interest in everything from wood ducks, bluebirds, purple martins. And almost every time we got together to visit after that, he would bring up the fact that over his long life, he kept seeing more and more birds, more wildlife disappearing from the countryside. And he wanted to know, what are we doing about these declines? We need to mm-hmm. do something about this. He mm-hmm. was a very concerned conservationist, an avid hunter. He enjoyed the game species, but he also really appreciated the non-game wildlife too. When he spoke to the Minnesota Outdoor Heritage Alliance in February of 2015, he was given a a legacy award for his work on the legacy amendment and and just for being a a legend on the outdoor scene here in Minnesota. And I remember he got up and he spoke and it really struck me. It struck some other people because he wasn't talking about hunting or fishing. He was, he was challenging. He's like, where are the purple martins? Where are the redheaded woodpeckers? Uh, He said, when's the last time you saw a meadowlark? And he said, you know, we might be winning some battles, but we're losing the war. And a number of people went up afterwards and thanked him. I mean, you know, the room was full of casters and blasters. And a lot of those people probably wouldn't feel comfortable going up there and saying that. Bud had no fear, man, right? He said what he said, whatever was on his mind. And people thanked him for stating aloud what I think is quite obvious to a lot of us. You're very right. And I think, you know, we're going to need to crank up that same kind of passion for the next vote coming up for the Environmental and Resource Trust Fund uh, in a couple of years, too, because we need to keep that funding going for helping a wide variety of Minnesota wildlife from from game species to non-game and everything in between. So he was right on target. We're chatting with Carol Henderson. Carol is the retired head of the DNR's non-game program. Uh, at the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, chatting a little bit with Carol about his memories of Bud Grant, who passed away last weekend uh, at the age of 95. The piece that you submitted to Outdoor News also talked a little bit about uh, copper ammo and, uh, and and lead ammunition. You engage Bud on that topic a little bit too? Oh, yes. Uh, Pat Redding from the Raptor Center and I stopped in one day at the Vikings headquarters to, for a visit with Bud. And uh, we were talking about some of the activities we had going on at the Vikings practice field. Uh, For example, one of our local bluebird enthusiasts, John Thompson, got permission to put up bluebird houses all around the Vikings practice field. (laughs) That's great. And uh, then we asked Bud about uh, if he had ever tried copper ammunition for deer hunting because we knew of his passion for deer hunts. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, he hadn't. I said, well, we can fix that. Uh, We'll we'll let you try some out. So. Pat and I went out shopping after we found out what caliber gun he used. He used his .30-06, and we got some uh, Federal Cartridge Trophy Copper ammo and brought that in for uh, dropping it off with Bud to try out. 
I checked in with him after the following deer season to see just how the hunting went. And he said he had gone out west. And uh, first he had sighted in his .30-06 with two shots from the copper shells. And then he went out, I guess, to Montana and dropped a muley buck with one shot. Then he came back to the uh, Alexandria area and dropped a nice whitetail buck with one shot. And then in Bud's traditional minimum word response, he said, they performed well. (laughs) And so he, he used just four shots out of that box of 20 shells. And he, and he said, how long will these shells last? I said, oh, they'll last a really long time. I, I think he was wondering if the shells were going to wear out before he did. <laughs> what can we say that hasn't been said? I mean, Bud was just an all-around remarkable guy. And I'm, I'm convinced that Minnesota's environment and our natural resources in this state are better because of him and because of the advocacy efforts that he invested in things like the Legacy Amendment and the RIM Coalition and helping you uh, promote the non-game program, things like that. Before we let you go, Carol, you're an avid shed hunter, aren't you? You uh, you like to get out and look for uh, white-tailed deer sheds. I know at the past deer classics, deer and turkey classics, you've placed or I think outright won it a couple of times. Uh, that's something you're out doing this time of year? I, I haven't been doing it lately. I've uh, been uh, having a little more issues with uh, having to use walking sticks to keep myself vertical. But when I worked at Lackey Parle from 1974 to 77 as the assistant manager, I was helping work with uh, enforcement during the fall deer season, so I didn't have a chance to really do much deer hunting. But after the season, I would walk the deer trails out there, and I found that this was a place where there were a lot of really incredible bucks roaming around. And then this this was in an era where sheds weren't even called sheds. They were just (laughs) deer antlers lying Mm -hmm. in the woods. Mm -hmm. And so I got into it before anyone else was really interested in it. And there was one year, I think I found about 40 antlers. Another year, I found about 60 but my prized possession is that I got a rack, a matching set from th- the same buck for three consecutive years. Wow. Yeah, 12 points, 15 points, and then 16 points. Whew. And those were all measured at the Deer Classic, and I've got them up in my garage. There are a couple bucks. I got them for two years consecutively. And so I have, I think, about nine or ten matching racks from deer that I've picked up and some from consecutive years. And it was just really a pleasure to, you know, first of all, just to be out in the snowy woods, walking in the woods, enjoying the winter, and and then finding those occasional treasures uh, with the deer racks out there. And so I think that in terms of just enjoying nature, it's a great way to extend the enjoyment of deer hunting uh, through another couple of months. I'd usually start in mid-January and go into early to mid-March and uh this was a, just a great time of year to be out and, and also to enjoy part of that uh, white-tailed deer heritage that we have. You better and I know it. it's much more competitive and, and uh, hmm. active now than it ever was before. And so I, I have uh, my wall full of uh, whoppers from Lackey Parle hmm. that uh, are really pretty special memories for me. Carol, how long were you the head of the uh, Minnesota DNR's non-game program? Uh, I was at head of the program for uh, uh, 41 years. Wow. And then hmm. at Lackey Parle for three years. Excellent. Wow, that's so I closed out at 44 years. Nicely done, Carol. And you are working on a book through the University of Minnesota Press, kind of recapping your years of the non-game program in 20 seconds. Can you tell us what yeah. that's about? Uh, I'm working on a book that will highlight some of the successes and activities that I learned and, and accomplished uh, in my time with the DNR. And I'm also including some of the life lessons that I learned on 
how to accomplish wildlife conservation and, and how to deal with people and, and successfully incorporate conservation projects uh, as part of our uh, conservation heritage. So it'll, it'll be coming. I'm supposed to finish by January 1st next year, and then it'll come out you know, probably in the following year. Carol, before we let you go, any closing thoughts on Bud Grant, on the coach? Bud was a wonderful friend. He was always someone who found time to visit with you, and he left you with lasting memories and wonderful stories that we can all appreciate, whether we're interested in bluebirds or purple martins or big whitetail bucks or Vikings football, too. Uh, there was something for everybody within his uh, core values. Very well put. Carol, thanks for all you've done for Minnesota Natural Resources, and thank you for sharing your memories of Bud Grant with us here today. Thank you. That was Carol Henderson. We appreciate him joining us on the broadcast. Let's break. We'll have more of the show after these messages. Final segment, everybody, of WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. When I wrap up here in a few minutes, 60 minutes will be with you at the top of the hour. Then uh, at 7 o'clock, Steel talking. Shaletta Brundage filling in for the great Geraldine Steele this week. So stay tuned. Some great content coming at you at WCCO all evening. Hey, I want to spend a few minutes, uh, our final segment, chatting with a friend of mine up on the border with Rainy Days Guide Service. It's Chris Granrude. Uh, he's guide extraordinaire, pro staffer for Clam and, and uh, many other brands, and he joins us now. Uh, coming off the ice today, is that right, Chris? How'd the fishing go? <laughs> That's right. Uh, fantastic. Um, I love March. Such a great time, right? I mean, obviously we're we're waiting for the river to open up, and we've got great ice fishing. So great time to be a fisherman. Well, yeah, long days. Uh, that's the other thing that's that's nice. I mean, the days are as long now as they are in you know probably September. So it's it's a good time to be out of doors. Like I said, we just got a few minutes, Chris. I'm sorry, I don't have more time, but I, I want to do a quick rainy river outlook. Uh, the the river has not yet opened. Is that right? And when it does, we've got a catch and release season for walleyes until April 14th. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, April 14th would be the last day, and technically it is open. So up, it's open up from, like, the dam down to Indus, so uh, what we would consider the Manitou down there. So that, that part of the river's got a lot of flow, and it's open down to that area. The ice is kind of all jammed up down there. So for the listeners, I mean, just keep in mind that, generally speaking, it's flow-driven when the, the ice blows out of there. So even mm-hmm. though you're at home and it's like, oh boy, this is, they still got 36 inches of ice on the lakes here. Um, again, when they open the gates there and you get a lot of current in there, so you can really start to erode that ice. So coupled with some, hopefully some warmer weather, we'll get everything blown out and hopefully we'll be uh, fishing soon. Gosh, any ballpark, would you, a week, 10 days, a couple of weeks? What do you, what do you think by the end of March anyway, Chris? Yeah. I mean, we're, we typically like to run our trips basically about April 4th on. We figure that's normally uh, pretty safe. So obviously we need to bust the river open, but we also need to get the landings open. So typically uh, the county will come in there and kind of bust those landings open. So you might have a bunch of ledge ice down there. You might have some flow out in the middle of the river there. But uh, we're anticipating that it'll it'll still cooperate. But it's everybody that's fished the river, they know it's always touch and go until right at the end, it seems like. <laughs> It's it's an incredible fishery. It, it's basically what you got spawning walleyes from Lake of the Woods moving up into the river, uh, and it used there used to be a harvest season that was it in 2018 the DNR or 2019 the DNR went catch and release. But still, I mean, if you want photo fish, if yep. you want a lot of action, hard to find a place with more walleyes uh, per, <laughs> per littoral acre uh, than uh, than you're going to find in the rainy in the spring. 
That's so true. You know, I mean, it's obviously Lake of the Woods walleyes coming up through the Rainy River system to spawn. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for an opportunity to true trophy fish, I mean, this is definitely the time to to uh, target. You know, it may, it may be a 10-day period, um, but a lot of big fish in the system, again, for sure. It's catch and release. What an opportunity to have a chance to, you know, potentially tag one of these giant fish. And I will just add that these fish release fantastic. So out of that cold, moving water, um, and it's shallow, they fish fantastic or release fantastic. And I've been fishing that for many, 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 many years. And, I mean, it, they they all shoot out of your hand during that time. But just remember, I mean, you're catching release, so plan on catching a big fish. One guy take a picture, get that fish back in the water immediately. Chris, I, like I said, I wish I had more time. Uh, folks, if they want more information on you know what's going on when fishing really gets rolling, I presume they can go to your website, uh, rainydaysguideservice.com. Do I have that right? That That's correct, yep. Yeah, so uh, Chris, you've got a team of, uh, of great guides working with you, Rainy Days, Rainy Days, D-A-Z-E. I want to be clear about that, rainydaysguideservice.com. And then you guys will be catching sturgeon too, right? I'm about out of time, but uh, you guys chase chase those big lake sturgeon also. That's exactly right. Right after the walleye season, we'll be chasing sturgeon. Awesome. Chris, thanks a lot for spending a segment with me. Good luck this spring. We'll stay in touch. Thanks for having me on, Rob. You bet, my friend. Uh, that was Chris Granrude, rainydaysguideservice.com. Stay in touch with him if you want to see how that uh, that rainy river uh, <laughs> uh, catch and release season gets going here. It's going to be a blast as usual. Well, thank you uh, to Chris, all my other guests, uh, Jonathan Lowe running the board. I hope everyone uh, has a great week out of doors. I'll be back with you seven days from now. This is Rob Dreesline, and this has been WCCO Outdoors.